Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hacks on Tap. We have been hunkered down and socially isolated, but the president, well, let's be polite and say he's been busy. That's that time putting... that you bought, the argument is that you bought yourself some time and you didn't use it to prepare hospitals, you didn't use it to ramp up testing. Right you're now, so, you're so, you're so disgraceful. It's so disgraceful the way you say that. Let, let me just, listen, I just went over it. I just went over it. Nobody thought we should do it. And when I did it. But what did you do with the time that you bought? You know the we month did? of February. That, you that know video we did? was a gap. What do you do? What do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? You had cases when you, you excuse me, you reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January seventeenth. January, February, the entire January. I said in January. The video has a complete gap on January thirty. What did your administration do in February with the time that your travel ban bought? A lot. A lot. And in fact, we'll give you a list. What we did, in fact, part of it was up there. We did a lot. Look, look. You know you're a fake. You know that your whole network, the way you cover it, is fake. And most of you, and not all of you, but the people are wise to you. That's why you have a lower a lower approval rating than you've ever had before, times probably three. It's amazing the steely command, the the grace under pressure. You know, the, the country <laughs> is in great hands here. Another day in paradise in the White House press room as a uh, as the wartime president speaks to an anxious nation. Mike Murphy, great to see you. As always, you doing well? Everybody safe? I am doing well, and I just want to take this moment to remind you that only I have the authority to order the podcast back into production, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've, I've done an edict here. I'll be wearing a uniform tomorrow, uh, like I'm thinking the president, right? But yeah, we're all, we're hunkered down here in Los Angeles where, and this gives me pain to say, but our Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, did a terrific job of getting early and in front of this thing. And uh, we're, we're, we're doing okay here. We're, 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 people are dying who shouldn't. You know, we're sharing the pain, but uh, we're, we're getting through it. So you won't believe who I ran into and dragged into this uh, little confab here. Before he was mayor of the greatest city in the world, before he was Barack Obama's White House chief of staff, before he ran the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and was one of the leadership in the House, he was a hack just like us. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I pulled in my old buddy Rahm Emanuel here to uh, provide some thoughtful, deep analysis, as he always does in his own inimitable way. Mr. Mayor, welcome in. There's hope for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Well, how about the country? Let's start with hope for the country. <laughs> so let, what the, the thing that drove the president nuts uh, yesterday, and I understand that this is not an unprecedented thing, but uh, was this New York Times story over the weekend that basically said they wasted weeks and weeks and weeks going back and forth trying to figure out what to do uh, and uh, it really underscored the fact that we got behind the eight ball uh, because of what happened there. What you make of that, Ram, and and what do you think the impact of it is? Like, just as a political guy, I mean, does it make any difference in a country that's so deeply polarized that if Trump says blue and the color is green, that his supporters are going to say, no, that color is green? Yeah. Well, three things. During World War II, Roosevelt used to have the press come into the Oval, Yes. And he kind of do both on the record, off the record. 
I don't remember those press conferences exactly going like this one for a war president. <laughs> just slightly different tone and tenor. Second, I actually think the president needed to hit, actually. And the reason is because that story in the New York Times is so damning a chronology of what, what did not, more about what didn't happen and that uh, there was a whole separate wing of the White House and the administration that was frightened by the inaction. And that's what the, the emails are that yeah. and the president needed to hit it, hit it hard because he knows if that narrative gains hold of the public, that we dithered, delayed, were dysfunctional, uh, he is toast in that uh, manner. And I think that he wanted to hit it hard. Now, the other thing and the reason I think yesterday's press conference will hurt him is the most significant movement since 2016 for the Democrats in both 2017 elections. 2018 elections, 2019 elections are women voters. Yeah, And they moved. And the idea that that reporter was a woman journalist, not that that same kind of narrative back and forth and arguing would not have hurt the president if it was a male journalist from a major network. But the fact that it was a female journalist is and the way he treated her, I think is only going to reinforce what we have seen literally in, over the last three years, every election the Republicans have lost, both the midterm elections, but even beyond, including 2019, or going back in Alabama, 2017, it is women voters who have left whatever they did in 2016. They want forgiveness, and they've come in waves. And you can see, counting the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, yeah, we'll what happened in the suburbs. So to me, it was a hor- it was really looked bad. Yeah, it wasn't just her, by the way, but Caitlin Collins from CNN and we'll hear that in a minute. She she also challenged him on a different point, and he was very dismissive to her. Overall, I would say it, it, it was very bad for him. He could have made his points different, but the fact that it was, he got so confrontational with two women journalists, but in this case, as we play that tape for CBS, that is only going to reinforce what I think why women voters are fleeing the Republican Party, which is this sense of belligerence, and he lacks empathy, the one thing Biden has. It's a case study, too, of his just, I'll be nice and call them control issues, because a situation like this, as tragic as it is, and not to be crass, but I'll get right to the politics of it, is an opportunity for a leader to really move their numbers. Trump could have got a second term out of this if he were sane enough to know what the situation requires. And, Rom, I agree with you. The whole ball game is going to be women and suburban voters. Can the R's get them back? Because that, driven by Trump, is the reason we've gotten our clock cleaned in just about every ballot contest since the day was inaugurated. Yet he's blown the the thing. He hasn't only blown the opportunity because he's emotionally and psychologically incapable of kind of being what a president ought to be. He's making it worse. He's doubling down and making it all about his persona, yeah. uh, which has already played a bad string out. His numbers are terrible. And underneath all that, he's got this problem of he was elected on the perception of competence, art yeah. of the deal. He can do it. He's going to shake things up. And now he's the Keystone Cops, which anybody who ever worked for him, I highly recommend. I plugged it before. Jack O'Donnell's great book, Trump, published in 92 by Simon & Schuster. Jack was a casino executive who worked for Trump and went in thinking, wow, this guy can run everything. By the end of it, he was like jesus christ we've got a chimp in charge here um, so that is crazy hey, hey, hey. for him you go nice on chimps <laughs> yeah the the chimp That's league will be insult. typing out a hot letter now that they they don't like being lumped in with the president friends of chimps the competence thing is big because what the time story laid bare was that and his desperate 
and sort of ham-handed attempt. You know, I, I, I hear you, Ram, that he had to respond, but the way he responded kind of compounded it. L- listen to this little uh, exchange about Anthony Fauci, who's probably the greatest asset that Trump has right now, someone who has complete credibility. People trust him. He is uber-competent. Uh, knows this area back and forth, and 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 one of the reasons he's trusted is because he's he's absolutely candid in answering questions, including whether we could have saved more lives if we had acted sooner, as he did on Sunday. This pissed Trump off, and so he sent out an Easter Sunday tweet in which he that was tagged uh, with a hashtag. And this there was this insane exchange. Listen to this. Anthony said, I saved a lot of lives by doing that. I mean, am I correct? I don't want to put words in Anthony's mouth, by the way, and I like him. Today I walk in, I hear I'm going to fire him. I'm not firing him. I think he's a wonderful guy. Why did you tweet something that said fire Fauci? I retweeted somebody. I don't know. They said fire. doesn't matter. Did you notice that when you retweeted it? Yeah, I noticed everything. Tweeted it even though it said time to fire Fauci. No, no, that's somebody's opinion. All that is is an opinion. No, I was called about that. I said I'm not firing. In fact, if you ask your friends in the office, in the public relations office, I was immediately called upon that, and I said no, I like him. I think he's terrific because this was a person's view. Not everybody's happy with Anthony. Not everybody's happy with everybody. So Ron makes this point that President needed to respond because it was such a devastating narrative that he tried that he needed to try to change the narrative and it reminded me I sat down with your sparring partner Chris Christie for my Axe Files podcast this week and this is what this is how he explained the delay and why Trump for so long denied how severe the situation was listen to what Christie had to say he always believes that by sheer force of will he can change circumstances and and I think that he was like, okay, if I just go out there and talk this thing down, um, I'll, it, it'll it'll come down. I think that's the way he felt in the beginning. Um, and if he took certain steps like closing travel from China, which he did early on, one, one of the real aggressive things he did early, um, one of the only aggressive things he did early, um, I think he thought he could do it. And and I think what he's learned in this circumstance is there are some things when you're president of the United States that are beyond your own will to fix on your own. You know, he was being charitable because he's a friend of Trump's, and I think he still wants Trump to take his calls, and he wants Trump to call him. But you guys, I thought it was an interesting insight into into Trump. He thinks, he said fix. He think, he really was saying spin, that he could spin this. And, and what you're finding out is he can't spin a pandemic. Yeah, look, I mean, this is a guy, you have a situation of reality TV versus reality. And right now, reality is beating reality TV, and it will, because this has gripped the whole country in every aspect, every pore, every corner, and you can't get away from it. And the reality is people are seeing it in their news, their daily lives, etc. And so the president chose and is basically structured around a perception of reality TV, and this is reality. The other thing I will say is you have two kind of control groups. You have the president that delayed and lost critical time. You now see in the Western states and other states that acted early and fast, not thinking everything right. They would tell you Murphy that, threw out a big endorsement of Gavin right. Newsom there. Oh, I didn't say endorsement, <laughs> but keep going. Yeah, well, I do. I, we have it on record now. Uh, <laughs> but Fake here's news. the thing. 
the people, the states that moved, look, take DeWine in Ohio. The yeah. states that moved yeah. early, yes. it is yep. bipartisan. The states that moved early have contained it and are now giving medical gear back. The country as a whole that delayed has a crisis. Yeah, but did you see, did you see by the way, that Christy Nome is that the governor of uh, yeah, South Dakota? South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, she was one who refused to have a stay at home order. They now have a big outbreak. Uh, well, they, in no, fact, no. they closed the big. There's a big story about the plant in yeah. South Dakota, the meat meat plant. packing plant, right? Yeah. Biggest yeah. in the country. Uh, I just to echo a, a little bit here because I I agree with this. I think Trump's huge dilemma here is when the stakes are low, his bullshit doesn't play. When it's just part of a Washington food fight, he's pretty good at it because he's the insult king and he'll break all the rules and he's copies so the media runs to give him an amplifier. But when stakes are high in people's lives, all his bullshit tricks don't seem that relevant anymore. And I think that's a real problem for him. And I think Christie is right about one thing. I I don't think Trump thinks like Pat Robertson he can move hurricanes with his mind. Or Elvis (laughs) used to say he could move clouds if he really (laughs) concentrated. But – I think Trump does have the lunatic's gift to be able to convince himself of his own alternate reality. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm not sure he's that tethered to what's but going He on. also believes in his ability to persuade others of his alternate yeah, reality. And this, this is what's being frustrated right now. You know, Ram, you raised this point about the governors who acted quickly. Governors are trading really high right now. Mayors are trading high right now. Governors, I think, on the uh, on the average, uh, you know, seventy two percent approval rating for their handling uh, on this. And you know, you just you wrote a book. You didn't even ask me, but I'm going to give you a plug anyway. Called the Nation City: Why Mayors Are Now Running the World. But in this case, mayors and governors are running the world. The president has, having allowed the governors to do those who who took the initiative to do what was necessary here to try and bend this curve is now picking a fight with them about whether they can continue to do what's necessary here. And that was one, that was really the headline out of this press conference yesterday. Uh, let's listen to that clip. Just, just to clarify your understanding of your authority vis-a-vis governors, uh, just to be very specific. For instance, if a governor issued a state-at-home When you say my authority, the president's authority. Not mine, because it's not me. This is when somebody's the president of the United States... The authority is total, and that's the way it's got to be. Total. Your authority is total. It's total. It's total. Your and the governors total. know that. So if, a, if a the governors know that. Now you have a couple of bands of, of excuse me, excuse me. You have a couple. Could you rescind that order? You have a couple of bands of uh, of uh, Democrat governors, but they will agree to it. They will agree to it. But uh, the authority of the president of the United States having to do with the subject we're talking about is total. Most telling sentence of his presidency. I'm pissed off now at my middle school history teachers who gave me a completely wrong understanding of the Constitution and the Tenth Amendment. It seems to me he is setting up something, having not had the guts to early on do what some of the governors did, uh, which was to order stay-at-home orders. He is now telling them, but I will decide when I can open up the country, which is, uh, at least on the face of it, what he thinks is a more beneficial thing to do for people seems like a stupid fight for him to pick because, first of all, he can't do it. He doesn't really have the authority to do it. And it's stupid to do it before he should do it. Where is this all going? Well, first of all, let's step back here. He thought originally, because he didn't want to shut down because it was going to be unpopular, the governor's popularity went up because they were forthright with the public. 
told the public exactly what they needed to know and took decisions. Their poll numbers not only went up, but their political capital really is strong. Second, he's picking a fight with very popular people. I actually think he's making the wrong, again, another wrong choice, which is he thinks he's get to play, he gets to play Hanukkah. Harry saying, everything's open up, let's go have fun, et cetera. And you're going to, it's with inevitable, you can see it over in Asia, you're going to have spikes. There's going to be places that are going to have, once again, people uh, contracting the virus, et cetera. And he's going to have the downside of moving way too soon. So he missed the opportunity to be forthright. And now he's going to miss the opportunity on the other side of it when he uh, opens it up and you're going to have another public health problem. It's inevitable and people shouldn't assume. You see it in China, by the way. They're having a recurrence now because they, they opened up a week ago and now they're having yeah. a recurrence of the yeah. virus. The incentives are always from the Pauls to, okay, I declare victory. I let us through it. Let's go back to work. And you, you buy a second wave, which is exact. Trump is racing to reopen because he's so obsessed with the economic numbers as any Paul running for reelection would be. But with Trump, it's a special thing. And, and act just a point on before, I don't give him the credit for having a big master plan here. When he says the president can have anything he wants, that's just a window. It's the most of declarative and definitive sentence of his presidency that's just him talking about him and that's what he thinks you know yeah. he doesn't really care about the constitution yes he is obsessed with his with the economy and how it might impact on him he also ought to be obsessed about it because it does impact on everyone else the images of lines of people headed to the food banks uh the stories about people losing their jobs and losing their businesses you know, the speculation that the impact of this globally could be, you know, depression-like. These are things that a president should be concerned about. The question really is, though, what do you do about it? And is it smart to, as you say, buy a second wave? I mean, he just seems like he's lost here. He's having a total moment of vertigo. Everything that he's relied on in politics about himself, his capacity, his uh, spin, his character, etc., is not working at this moment. That's why you get the reaction he got yesterday at the press conference, his desire to have fights with the governors when he shouldn't be having fights. Every instinct he has about how to operate is being upended, and he's doubling down on what he thought worked in the past, and it's actually hurting him. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Murph. Could you stop agreeing with me? It's not helpful. <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming around. Destroying, I, destroying both your worry. careers. Buy a book, will you? I'm, I'm, I'm luring you into a false sense of security here before I pounce <laughs> like a leopard. But poor Fauci. You know, he had to walk back his thing a little. It's turning into one of those downfall mixes where Fauci is the general staring at him saying, you know, he's being screamed at to counterattack with the 5th Panzer Division. And Fauci has to say, sir, the 5th Panzer Division was destroyed two years ago at Stalingrad. And Trump throws the table at him. But Fauci, you know, I think he's doing a service. But I, I give him a little bit of leash on backing off and yeah, absolutely. Trump because I don't want him to leave. The history of this is going to be the most – it was some of the most interesting history is going to be not just how Fauci and to some degree Dr. Burks have managed this crisis, but how they've managed a crazy president in the right. midst of this crisis because Fauci knows that he's the key man. And if he if he uh, is sidelined, that has ramifications. I, I agree with you on the two public health officials and been honest at forthright. Uh, I'd also say the uh, captain of uh, the Teddy Roosevelt, because he's the only person that's yeah. willingly taken his career and said, you know what, my career is not important. The men and women I'm responsible for are. And he's the only one that put his both his career, his reputation, and his livelihood 
on the line based on the responsibility of his job. But well, we were making a different point, which is... I know, but I wanted to make my point. I know, you always want to make your point. <laughs> but the, but the, and I feel better. Thanks for inviting me to your show. The, um, See, this the, is how you get to be a big city mayor, Axe. You, know, you, know, you basically grab the damn controls and drive the freaking Believe thing. Me, Mayors are I, dictators. I, I live in Chicago. I couldn't get a word in edgewise for eight years. <laughs> yeah. Thank God and we're a better city for it. But the point here is that I think Fauci, yes, uh, the guy, I, 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 the captain is a hero. We lionized him on our last uh, show, but, uh, but Fauci is, a, is, a, is, is actually the guy you need yes, I agree. running the show. So, uh, hey, we, I got to take a hard shift to Biden's big week. But, Axe, I'll tell you what, before we get there, let's pay some bills. We'll be right back with Rahm Emanuel. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now. And it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects. Zero for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. So Joe Biden, you know, in some ways he is uh, so limited in what he can do here because the president has the big podium for better or worse. And Biden doesn't have an official role. He's not Andrew Cuomo. He's not a mayor. He's not a member of Congress. And so, you know, he is making pronouncements. Uh, nonetheless, he's he's on a really big run here. Yesterday, Bernie Sanders gave him what I thought was a very warm, very unambiguous endorsement of the sort that Hillary Clinton would have craved four years ago. Let's listen to a little bit of uh, what Sanders had to say. We've got to make Trump a one term president. Uh, and we need you in, in the White House. So I will do uh, all that I can 
uh, to see that that happens, Joe. And, and I know that there is an enormous responsibility on your shoulders right now. Uh, and uh, it's imperative that all of us work together uh, to do what has to be done, not only in this moment, but beyond this moment in the future of this country. It seems to me that this was a big thing for Biden. I mean, he's not Bernie's fo- uh, followers are not all going to jump to Biden. They're, they, they are whipped up uh, in uh, they don't see Biden all of them as the trend, you know, as a transformational candidate that they that they had hoped for. But I think a lot of people are going to listen to what Sanders has to say. And the fact that he clearly has warmth for Biden, that he is uh, that he there there's no ambiguity and they didn't try and hide their They didn't try and hide their differences. They said we have some differences, but they're small compared to our differences with Trump. Uh, I thought it was big. First of all, it was a very warm endorsement. And second, it's early. I mean, we should not forget that Hillary's endorsement came in July and it came reluctantly. This came willingly and it came in April. And that gives us more time to organize and solidify the party and show a united front to swing voters that it's going to be very, very important. And I think that uh, this is a, this this endorsement this week, the president, uh, former president's endorsement, and more and equally of value. This election in Wisconsin on the Supreme Court is yeah, a man. big. Hey, you got to learn the art of podcasting here. You're like unfurling all of the layers all in one one answer. I know how you think, <laughs> so I'm trying to help you slowly uh, get yourself to the pinnacle of the accomplishments here. You're reading off the outline is what you're doing. Uh, you're Bernie, doing. Bernie, uh, Bernie did what Bernie had to do. He did it with some relish, and the best thing for Biden is it snuffs out the little candle the media would love to run with of trouble between them. So there will be a small vocal group of Bernie nuts who will continue. They will get more press than they deserve. I, I lived this movie in Republican land when the Hillary and Obama hate each other narrative stayed in the media all the way to the convention, which led a dear friend of mine and a great American hero sitting in a cabin in Arizona to start thinking, hey, the media says women hate Obama. We better pick a woman. Anybody know anybody? And somebody got out the <laughs> atlas and started with Alaska A's and one thing led to another. So <laughs> this is a service to Biden just to get rid of distractions. Murph, I used to always say in the White House, sound is not always fury. Yeah, yeah. that's a, exactly what happened there yep. is that everybody thought, oh, the media listened to three people and they wrote a narrative that ne- never existed. The other thing that Ron mentioned that is as we sit here, President Obama has released a full-throated, lengthy and heartfelt uh, endorsement of Biden, you know, Trump was taunting a week or two ago, where's Obama? Obama was waiting for Sanders to do what Sanders did, and he wanted to be a unifying figure in the party, didn't want to put his thumb on the scale. Now he has, and that's a pretty big cannon out there when it comes to surrogates. Uh, That can be helpful. What do you guys think the tangible value of Obama's endorsement is? Well, Biden was halfway there, as anybody who took a look at the comeback in the primaries in South Carolina can tell you. So this kind of is dog bites cat, but it's, you know, it it is again, it's fast, it's now organize, unify. I think the interesting thing to me will be part two when Trump wanting to change the channel goes after Obama viciously. It's always tricky for a former president to get, you know, engaged in that stuff and how Obama handles it. But it's good for Biden. And it might, if, if Obama's willing to really work behind the scenes that might help fix the finance problems we're going to talk about. I think it's really good. It's important. You want it. 
I do think that a lot of the primary was retrospective because President Obama was such a large figure over the narrative and discussion and dialogue. Uh, in the general election, you want this to be a prospective election, not about what happened, but about what will happen. Or as President Clinton you always used to say, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. And so it's important that Joe gets this. It's a, you said, David, I think that really was Fleetwood important. Mac, by the way, but go ahead. I think that uh, President Clinton actually got some royalties out of it, from what I can <laughs> tell. <laughs> yeah. But my, the bigger thing is making sure that the vice president puts out and continues to look forward and lays out some clear, distinct ideas. Because I do think Trump's going to try to make this about a referendum on Obama. And I think yeah. what, uh, what Joe has to do is make this a referendum on Donald Trump. And you don't want a three-way debate. You want a very singular, this is a referendum on, very specifically on Donald Trump, his tenure, and what he did, and more importantly, what he did not do. And obviously, it's a great endorsement. It will be a great surrogate. It will help unify the party. But Biden still has to uh, make this about Trump. I think this is going to be about Trump. Uh, you know, when I had that conversation with Christie in that Axe Files this week, he said, look, this would have been a binary choice before this virus. Now it's going to be uh, an election about how Trump handled the virus. And I think that, you know, we'll see what the next few months bring. And, you know, if there is any sort of light at the end of the tunnel, if we can get this uh, economy moving again to any degree, if people can return to normalcy to any degree, and we'll see. But I I think that this thing has completely, the virus has seized this election. And um, I'm not sure. I agree with you on Biden that Biden has to have forward looking ideas and so on. Just a moderate. He has to be a a respected and a a legitimate alternative. That's all. Yeah. The the election always wants to be about the incumbent and the virus because we're in crisis triples that. So a part of the job of the Biden campaign is to not give to just cover himself in WD-40 and not give Trump any handles to try to make it about him. Yeah, uh, yes, and not to be exactly. too ambitious, which is why I think they're okay actually not having a platform right now. It actually buys them time to get good from when they really emerge here in the summer. Hey, Rom, let me ask you something though. Let me ask you something. You, before you were the uh, grand poobah that you are, you started in this business as a fundraiser, and you raised a lot of money for Bill Clinton, and that was one of the reasons why he got elected. We got money numbers this week. Trump and Republicans had raised two hundred and twelve million dollars in the quarter. $670 million for the cycle. At the end of February, Biden and the Democratic National Committee had $20 million combined. Can Obama's entry in this make a difference there? And, what, and Sanders as well. Can Sanders sway some of his people? I mean, how do, you, how do they kick the fundraising in the ass? Because this seems like a problem to me. First of all, I would like the record to show that only you and Murph have sworn, and I have not. And I've gone to <laughs> 45 minutes, and I would like the record to Talk show. about virus. We've been infected by you. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, it was a fucking I, miracle. Yeah. Done it. Let, let me just be clear. There's only one of us that have herd immunity, and that's right here, okay? Uh, so it is the one thing that I saw all week that scared me. Because the truth, you know, when, we, when I started in that presidential, you mentioned President Clinton as a fundraiser. There was about 18, 19 states that were swing states. About 20% of the electorate was called swing voters. That's down to like a handful of states, maybe six, seven. And it's down to almost eight to 11%, depending how you want to count it, amount of voters. I mean, it's been cut dramatically. And you put 600 million to what will be, without a doubt, over a billion dollars 
through just a funnel of six states versus 200 million through that funnel, that's a very powerful factor. And so the president, former president, everybody being willing and, inter- and getting the internet money going, because it's very clear, you're not going to be able to do this in person. You're not, Zoom just is not going to give you the type of dollars where somebody's going to hand over a seven, eight figure check. And so the internet has to get lit. And uh, it's been a soft underbelly for uh, Joe Biden, the whole campaign. Yeah. And both Obama and Sanders have big footprints. Obama's may be more relevant here. David, you got to admit, it's a flashing yellow light. The campaign's got to oh, get Oh, I, I would be deeply worried about okay, this uh, okay. money situation. Deeply worried uh, about I'll it. I'll say, though, before any more of this Democrat bedwetting breaks out, although I do agree the money thing is a weakness for Joe. It's always been he's got to fix it. Obama can help. But the Dems are going to have an advantage, which is the Dem, even though there are all these tribal fights and vendor brawls and all that, the Dem independent expenditure world is going to be far better funded yes. than the Republican one. Now, I'd rather have campaign money than IE money. Goes farther, can be use smarter well you know it's more valuable right completely but the the ie thing on the republican thing is a collision between grifters and and a lack of dough because the the presidential campaign sucking everything (laughs) up in the rnc the combined committee so there's a there's a little bit of an equalizer there but it doesn't solve the problem it just money is flowing into those uh independent expenditure uh campaigns the question is can they be coordinated in a way that's most uh, effective. You're right, Ram. You mentioned earlier there. You, you talk about swing states. One, I'll just dismiss uh, quickly. But Arizona, which is where I'm sitting right now, new poll out today. Uh, Biden plus nine. Biden's led in the last five polls in Arizona. I'd be deeply worried about that if I were Trump. Is he above fifty in that one? I think in that one he is. Yes, I think he is in that one. Good sign. First of all, it has one more electoral vote than Wisconsin, Arizona, and I would be really if he's above 50 and up by nine in Arizona. First of all, so much of Arizona is Maricopa County and so much of Maricopa County are these big sweeping uh, suburbs. And we know how Trump is playing in the suburbs. I I would be, you know, obviously there's a big Hispanic uh, population here as well. All of us do this. If in Arizona, Biden is above 50 and up by nine, you can start to extrapolate from that. Certain yeah, all over areas. the country. Yes, uh, because of the demographic that's, you know, it's got a lot of ex-Midwesterners that have moved out there. It's got a slightly right. older electorate. You know, you start extrapolating. That is a flashing yellow, slightly bad Oh, for sure. It's, it's, it's April, but it's, it's, it's important. This Wisconsin thing, though, Murphy... He- he became unhinged yesterday. Well, that may be. Knows. They, that may be. And I think uh, Wisconsin probably. Remember, he stood at that same podium 10 days ago and accused the Democratic governor of trying to delay the election last Tuesday because he he was trying to thwart Trump's candidate for Supreme Court. He said, I endorsed a Supreme Court justice for reelection. And his poll numbers just today when I endorsed him soared through the roof. And then the governor decided to hold up the election because he knew. Uh, that uh, this guy was going to win. Well, you know what? He didn't win, Murphy. No, no, he lost. I'm Captain Wisconsin, too. I used to work for Tommy Thompson, 
And, uh, you know, you guys know it because you're from the Midwest and, you know, your background in Illinois. Wisconsin similar, except most of the voters there are alive. But um, boom. So here's the <laughs> thing about this race. Uh, every week, Rom, I get this. Yeah, I, I know. Week. I go back to the dead Chicago thing. <laughs> Buried in Arizona and still voting in the wards. Uh, Murph, those are some of our best precincts when we ran for mayor. <laughs> no, no. Don't I, encourage him. <laughs> don't encourage him. <laughs> no, no. I Look, the, the, the dead have a lot of wisdom. They've had full lives. I say let them vote. <laughs> They've been able uh, to look backwards and know what they did right and wrong. All right, all right, enough of this. All right, <laughs> all right. We're, uh, uh, put me on the rolls there. I'd like to be part of the Chicago electric. We already did three lectures ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I pulled that Emanuel ticket every year. All right, so it, Wisconsin, a couple things. One, yes, I knew the polling on this from one of the IEs. It, it was even maybe a point ahead for Kelly, the Republican. And then, you know, shame, because look, I'm a conservative. I would have been okay with Kelly, but the Repubs committed this moral sin of trying to actually block an election and shut down Milwaukee. You only five places to vote. It was unbelievable and un-American. Out of 180 precincts, that 175 were shut down, yeah. But but still they did it. And I've got to – there are some signs here for the general beyond the obvious, hey, the Dem won a state that Trump uh, did well before. Now, historically, we get our clock clean in presidentials. We hadn't won before Trump since, I think, 84, 88. One, Dane County wasn't at full strength, the big liberal county, because the college kids are gone. It's shut down. So the general election will be – There'll be more Democrat Biden votes there, even in this thing. Second, I think, and we can talk about the the what kind of general election election day we might have, but Milwaukee will be back even stronger. And they ran a really good campaign for Karofowski. I'm probably mispronouncing your name. Karofsky. Where did, That's the, the, li- the liberal uh, justice who... Yeah. Jill. Judge Jill. So what did they do right? They outraised and outspent back to the money issue. They beat Kelly three to one. There were a lot of IEs, but three to one is pretty impressive. And spent it well. They spent it very well. They had phone banks all over the country because they nationalized the rage against Trump, uh, uh, chasing uh, voters and, and doing turnout stuff. Uh, it was a, a almost perfect campaign. And she did the lesson of when Dems win. She was not afraid to run to the right a bit on crime and block that flank. Yes. It was a smart campaign, and they cleaned his clock. When does the guest get to speak around here? Never. They did a. Uh, it's hard. You need to bring a crowbar. Did, this I is can't like a give Jewish up the floor. I'll never get it back again. I just want to make this one point: absentee yeah. ballots. Absentee ballots. The Democrats did a great job on absentee ballots. Eighty percent of the vote in this race, unheard of in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, yeah, were absentee ballots. The Republicans forced this election, but they didn't run the kind of race that you needed to run to win. And it's telling that they said publicly, our guy will do better in a lower turnout election. Well, guess what? You're not going to have a low turnout election in November. In a presidential, yeah. The three things that are, in my view, that are really important. One, he, for whatever it was, did great in the urban areas, did not get killed, which I think Murphy's point about crime and public safety in the rural areas did not get killed, and unbelievably well in the suburbs, incredibly well in the Milwaukee suburbs for a Democrat. And that's a strategy that's going to be repeated. It has to be Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, urban, suburban, metropolitan majority coalition. That to me is the ticket. And this showed how you win in statewide elections in battleground states, battleground states. I can't say I agree anymore because I'll get penalized, but that is an astute analysis. And I'll add one state everybody's missing. 
because they've been head faked on it. Florida. Trump is in trouble in Florida. The same thing that's moving those Arizona numbers is going to make Florida very competitive this time. The idea of a lock for Trump is crazy. And by the way, his, uh, Governor DeSantis is not helping him. He's the one not governor. Yeah. He's the one governor who's actually lost standing uh, yeah. through this crisis. Everyone else has gained. He's lost seven points in his approval rating. You know what's also going to hurt? is former Governor Scott tightened those unemployment rules in Florida. And a lot of people are going to lose out on unemployment checks in Florida. And that is going to really, really hurt the president in this process. Because the rules in Florida, if you compare them to other states, of what you can get unemployment for, given former what Governor, former, former Governor Scott, now Senator Scott did, is going to come back to haunt them in that state. And given it's also so reliant on tourism, that ain't coming back anytime soon. So, right. guys, uh, speaking of checks, uh, we're going to take a time out here for a word from our sponsors. But we're going to come back with our mailbag and we're going to give you a chance to impart your wisdom in response to the questions of our very smart listeners. Okay, we're back and buy all the stuff we plugged. All right, Mr. Mayor, your former White House political director and all-around hack, answer the mega question from Amy. Who will Biden select for VP? What qualities do you think he'll prioritize in a VP? Everybody will evaluate this. Nobody comes in at a perfect 10. So I have three things to say here. One is you'll see pluses. people will have pluses and minuses. The most underappreciated, but most, in my view, having done this, I organized it for than Governor Clinton, is the personal qualities and a relationship, meaning do you have trust, do you have a personal relationship? Right. It is very much like a marriage, and you've got to have that, and only you know that answer. Everybody else can evaluate, you know, here's their strengths, here's their weaknesses, this is the area, but that personal connection and, and, and energy, only you can be honest with yourself whether it's there. It's never going to develop later. It's really, do you have that kind of respect there? I, I think personal connections is always underappreciated. It should be foremost, uh, top and center. I think the VP selection since Gore, Cheney, and Biden changed the dynamics where you looked always for balance, geographic, or otherwise. And I think on this one, I would say you have five choices, the three senators that ran, the senator from Nevada, and the governor from Michigan. And those five people, are, I think, rise to the top. Three of the five have gotten vetted nationally. That's important and been tested and grew, obviously, in that process. Rom's right. I think he's right uh, on his his list. I'd add Stacey Abrams, although uh, the crisis probably has been unhelpful to her as a potential nominee. Very impressive, but has been only uh, a legislative leader in Georgia. There are other factors that are important. You know, Barack Obama, one of the reasons he chose Biden among several was that he had experienced a national campaign that would because it is a crazy maelstrom and it's hard to learn on the fly that would favor uh, one of the senators if he wants to make a big play in the upper midwest that would be in those battleground states you know senator klobuchar or governor gretchen whitmer i did a podcast with her that's going to air on uh, an axe files that's going up on thursday uh and she's impressive She's impressive, uh, and her uh, obviously uh, higher profile now uh, as a result of the process uh, uh, of the uh, virus. So we'll see about that. 
I won't do the list on the VPs because I agree on it. I think it'll be uh, Whitmer or Klobuchar probably. But it is so important. People underestimate the personal thing. I remember I was with a candidate once and somebody made a big pitch for all the reasons for somebody. At the end, the candidate just looked at him and said, yeah, it sounds great, but I got to live with them. Uh, so it's that personal thing. It's so important, man. So important. Go back to this personal thing. Well, how often did John McCain meet the governor of our, of Alaska before he selected her? Never. Not okay. never. That tells you Biden had a relationship and they served on the foreign committee. They were senators together. Al Gore uh, was a member of DLC and Clinton and him knew. Cheney, having oversaw the process, got to know uh, mm-hmm. Bush, got to know him. So I just think that we we yeah. can look at ideology. We can look at geography. We can look at the state. In the end of the day, the personal piece, only one person knows the answer, and they got to be honest with themselves. And that's why I'm betting against Kamala Harris and beyond all her other shortcomings. All right, what do you got, X? Mary called in saying, I just finished listening to the podcast from 4-7. I was mostly struck by one thing that Mike said. I forget exactly how he put it, but essentially the gist was that there are two potential outcomes of this election. Trump wins or he declares that the election was fraudulent. I absolutely agree that these are the two scenarios under, unless Biden wins by a landslide, which I can't see happening due to the Trump, Trump cult of followers who will blindly follow him off a cliff if necessary. So my question is, if the second outcome happens, what then? I'd like to hear some discussion from you about how to blast him out of office when he doesn't want to leave. Well, that's where the Secret Service can come in handy and pay the favor back and cart them out like yesterday's uh, disposable uh, food scraps. I, I want to do a little salute to Mary, formerly known as Mary Kay, who I went to high school with back in Detroit, an astute political observer. I do think Trump will try to delegitimize the election if he loses, but I think he'll still be bounced out. I don't buy any of the dire consequence versions of that, but he'll be throwing acid around on our institutions till the last minute when they bulldoze him out of the building. And let's be clear, he'll be throwing acid on the institutions after he leaves the building. Totally. Trump is not going to go and uh, uh, back to Mar-a-Lago and work on his memoirs. Uh, he's going to try and lead a, a movement. And, you know, the next president of the United States, and let's assume for a second it's Biden. It, it may not be. But if, if it's Biden, he has two enormous headaches ahead. One is he's going to have to deal with the aftermath of this enormous crisis, which is still going to be visiting us, uh, uh, you know, certainly the economics and and maybe the public health issue uh, when he takes office. The second is Trump's going to try and lead a rump movement and delegitimize government and delegitimize everything that Biden does if Biden gets elected. It's going to be a challenging assignment. My view is given that the president's a germaphobe, we should just send about 50 to 60 people that have contracted the virus in and he'll go crazy and just start running out of the West Wing and just leave. (laughs) <laughs> a very thoughtful analysis from uh from oh i didn't know uh, i didn't know this was a high-minded show <laughs> it used to be <laughs> you too we're, we're, we're gonna Fire book a guy. smallish room in vegas for you guys <laughs> all right joe says for axelrod love the show quick question Why is there not more outrage made of Trump removing Glenn Fine as the chief watchdog as an overseer of the $2 trillion coronavirus fund? Does the country not understand that this gives Trump a blank check to send taxpayer-funded money, of which he is not one, to the Trump and Kushner families, et cetera, et cetera? Actually, I think Trump stuff is is written out of the bill. Yeah, there's a a good question. Where's the outrage? It, it, It does say something about the level of trust of Trump by the Congress that they inserted language that prevents him from 
uh, or the Kushner family from uh, benefiting from this money. But look, absolutely, I, I think that a lot of things are happening under the cover of this virus that are of deep concern. This is one of them. How about the dismissal of the uh, IG for the intelligence community as a payback because he did his job and uh, reported the Ukraine whistleblower complaint to the Congress? The danger here is that Trump's going to take care of a lot of his family business under the cover of the virus, and there'll be no big outrage about it because people are properly focused on the crisis in front of us. So You know what's interesting is that in World War II, in the height of the war, they stay. This is how Harry Truman came on Roosevelt and everybody else's radar is he chaired the committee mm-hmm. that oversaw yes. corruption and all the graft that was going on around war contracts. The fact is, that's how Truman got to be known uh, beyond right. being just Pentagrass's senator. And right. it's amazing to me that we and your caller, or whoever Joe wrote this question, this is going to be they're going to we're going to find out years later how they stole everything, including the candlesticks, uh, this uh, operation and the White House and also the government. You know, I'm a Truman fan, but I've always loved the irony of that, that Tom Pendergast's <laughs> machine Paul was the crusading guy who's going right. to reform defense procurement. But he actually, by most accounts, did a pretty good job. Last call. I want to do a shout out. Uh, you know, one of the great... Uh, one of the great good fortunes that I have had is that um, I was the uh, in the White House, not just with Rom, but with a bunch of fantastic speechwriters who are now known as the Pod Save America crew. And uh, they are, like all of us, soldiering on through this uh, from their homes, doing their stuff over uh, the whole crooked media crowd. And I just want to say a little Roman and all the hacks on Slack, which is which is what uh, they call themselves now, hacks on Slack at Crooked Media. Uh, thanks for pulling up a chair. They they're listeners to our show. Roman's a listener to our podcast. Good for you, Roman. We're we're happy to have you, and we're uh, really pleased that you guys are doing the great work that you're doing. Okay, well, I guess a load of steaks fell off a truck or something. We're, we're now officially in radio. We're doing payola here, unpaid plugs. Uh, no, it's a good thing. I recommend it. I, I don't have one this week. We're running late, so I'll be the friend of the clock and just say, wash your damn hands. Okay. Ron, what do you got? Let's see it to Ron. Two things. One is I've delivered. I want to thank all the nurses and doctors uh, and all the healthcare specialists who are really risking life and limb Amen. for that. And then Amen. I recommend, as reading today, the email exchange that New York Times does, but of James Lawler, Tuesday, January 28th, in response, he says, great understatements of, in history. This is a response to what President Trump had said the night before. Napoleon's retreat from Moscow, just a little stroll gone bad. Pompeii, <laughs> Pompeii a bit of, uh, of a dust-up storm. Hiroshima, a bad summer heat wave. Wuhan just a bad flu season this is in the email exchange that all the medical scientists had so if you haven't seen it i know there's a lot of other serious things in there i thought that was the most creative writing i've seen in government you know my entire tenure in two administrations and as mayor thank you so much for joining us ram thank you yeah ram great to be with you be healthy be safe and to you guys and all our listeners this is a very very tough time people are struggling not just with illness but with tremendous economic and financial uh, pressures. And uh, we can only hope and pray that we get through it quickly and we get through it whole and we get through it as one community. And we appreciate you being part of ours. See you next week.